All right, family, uh, we are in Genesis, so pull out your Bibles. If you need a Bible, um, you can raise your hand. Leon will have Bibles, and we'll pass those out to you. Um, you guys will be very excited this week because we are going to do one chapter. So, uh, amen. Oh. <laughs> hey, man, I'm strategic. I'm trying, man. All right, we're in Genesis chapter 48. They're having an open house or something like that, so we got to really make it happen today, okay, guys? And we, so we can party. Can we sit? Can we hang out our front? All right, we can hang out our front, but you, gotta, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here before 1 o'clock. All right, guys? Um, I don't think that was to you. I think that was mostly to me to, to shut up at like 12.35, so... So, I get a hint. As you guys know, there uh, obviously we are a couple chapters uh, from completing uh, Genesis. Uh, if you're at MacAv, uh, what we do is we go through books of the Bible. Uh, we want to just make sure that we understand the whole counsel of God, and and so uh, I'm really excited to know that the Lord has allowed us to be in Genesis about a year now, actually a little over a year. And in a couple of weeks, hopefully, um, either right before Easter or probably the week after Easter, we'll be done and then we'll be entering into some other cool series uh, that hopefully will encourage the saints tremendously as we enter into the summer. Genesis, a lot. Uh, let me go ahead and summarize all 48 chapters before you real quick. I'm just kidding. I'll get scared. Won't do that. But what you can do, you can go to www.macab.com if you want to um, listen to uh, sermons and hopefully recalibrate yourself on what was going on in redemptive history starting in the beginning. Uh, but just in a nutshell, uh, if you, when you're thinking about the general piece of Genesis, uh, there should be some key words that pop in your mind that we talk about a lot. Uh, hopefully some of those key words are, are generations, right, and, and lineage, uh, and grace, uh, and, and that uh, we're messed up, right, that we need the Lord. And we see this all throughout, all throughout the scriptures. We see a holy God creating all of creation and then creating us as a pinnacle of his creation, uh, allowing us to, be, to bear his image, the Imago Dei, so we actually remind God of himself, uh, which is a beautiful thing that we are the only, I will propose, the only thing in creation uh, where we can choose to worship or not worship God. Um, and he's given us that, uh, that capacity. And then what we did, we had the audacity to think that we were our own gods and chose not to worship him. Uh, we sin. And because of sin, um, this whole world has, has, has entered into a sense of decreation. All right. Uh, but God is so good. He doesn't take his stuff that he's made and allows it to be messed up. Um, God has promised to restore all of creation, not just just us, but all of creation. Uh, and again, restoring us as a pinnacle of even that new creation. In doing so, he had to he, he saw a sovereign to make a point that and that is that we desperately need the Lord. And the way that he did that and the way that he's doing that is he allow he allows the world to continue to experience decay and allows evil to be uh, so um, so prudent in our lives, so so potent in our lives to show us that, man, we only have the audacity, we only have the skill set to do evil. And so basically the Bible in itself is all about, if you want a summary, if you're like, what's the Bible about? It's about evil, messed up people and a good God, right? No one's, no one's good. It's just evil people and a good God. Um, so that every evil person would turn toward the good God so they can experience goodness through Christ. 
Uh, so that's sort of the whole point of redemptive history, is that we would all see our place and see God's place and put ourselves under the authority of our God. Okay, so then he takes us through these families. So he he shows us that shows us that generally destroys everything where you the, the famous flood, Noah and all that whole deal destroys all the people, saves a remnant. Uh, and all he's doing right there is giving us a foreshadowing of the remnant that he's going to save one day through his savior, through his son, Jesus. He saves a small remnant, allows them to sort of procreate again. And he says, hey, there's still sin just to show you something. I say he's a pretty cool guy, but he's still sinful. So guess what? The world's going to still be messed up again. That happens. He sort of beelines uh, our sinful man and says, I want to focus on one family where redemptive history is going to come from. And this is the Abrahamic, the Abrahamic line. So you have uh, we I think we're in like fourth or fifth generation of Abraham's line. Right. We've seen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, we've seen the different sins and things of that sort. And then uh, we get to Joseph, uh, one of one of Jacob's son. And we see a guy who is blessed by the Lord, where he can tell dreams. Uh, we see his life, his brothers get jealous and mad at him because God has chosen him for a specific purpose. They try to kill him. Uh, by God's sovereignty, they don't kill him. They put him in a ditch, bring him out. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him to the Egyptians. He's a slave. He's in prison. He gets uh, accused of raping, you know, Potiphar's wife. Uh, he's just crazy journey life. But in all in all of that, God's sovereign hand was like, I'm going to use this guy actually to save all of Israel because there's a huge famine coming. So God uses this Joseph guy who is a slave. And eventually, out of different circumstances that you can read in your own time, he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the known world in that time. So now it's Pharaoh and Joe. OK, and. And here he is running everything for the people of God. And because of that, he actually saves the remnant because the remnant would have died. Uh, they would have starved to death. And then God's plan would have not happened. And then God would have been he would have been unfaithful. Well, God's plan, what he wants to show us throughout scripture is that he is faithful. And whenever it gets to a point where he could almost look like he's going to be unfaithful, he'll even change circumstances to make sure that he is faithful. And you can see that when you read your Bible, and you even look at Genesis, I mean, uh, jo- jo- uh, Joshua, um, me and uh, guys in our discipleship group just read through Joshua. And um, and it's beautiful to watch how it talks so much about and everything that God said he was going to do. He did faithfulness. Uh, when you look at Genesis, is a huge component of Genesis because God is trying to say something to you and me. And that is, I want you to know something you're doing life right now. And the world is going to tell you that I'm not reigning, that I don't exist. The world is going to tell you it's really about you settling for fake things and is going around and doing self idol worship. But let me tell you something. I am faithful. What I'm telling you in the Bible is true. And I'm going to complete what I've told you. So no matter what the world is telling you, I want you to hold on and remember that I'm faithful so that you will live a life toward me. So that's that. So that's what we're doing. So every week we remind ourselves God is faithful, not Judy or my Lexus or whatever is your idol that you put two incense by. That's not what's faithful. It's the father. All right, guys. So so basically we go through Joseph. He restores his people um, in the sense of he protects uh, his his daddy and his other brothers. They reconcile. And now um, Joseph's family has moved to Egypt. Okay. And it's him, his um, his 11 brothers, his sister and his daddy. And they moved to Egypt and now they're hanging out. OK. Uh, he saved the people during their family. We talked about that last week. He's he's did all these wise things. He's helped the Egyptians. And now we're in chapter 48. 
and it's a really cool chapter. So we're going to jump right in. I hope you, I hope we get a lot of good implications. Remember, I say this every time because we're dealing with a very interesting narrative. Bible study skill here. Again, interpretation is what was the author's intent. He wanted you to understand this is what his main point is. Okay, but implications are things that we can learn and try to be wise as we look through the scriptures. Okay. So we're going to try and have that balance while we read through the text. Okay, guys, you ready to rock? I'm going to try to use this thing real quick, too. Okay. We're starting with verse one in chapter 48, guys. Um, we're, let me just set, the, let me set the, ta- the table real quick. Okay, so you have Jacob, who's the daddy, who's, the, who's the, basically the granddaddy. You got Joseph, who's the daddy. And Joseph is uh, obviously Jacob's son. And it was from his wife, Rachel, the wife he loved the most. Okay. Um, he had two sons by them. He had Joseph and he also had Benjamin. Uh, now, Joseph has two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, okay, or Ephraim. And right now, uh, they've been hanging out. Remember, he thought his son was dead, okay, for 20-something years. He realized his, son alive, his son's alive. He comes. He sees his son. They reconcile. They're hugging. Can't believe this. Now they get to spend about 17 years together, okay, hanging out in Egypt. Uh, at this point... I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, theologians would say Joseph at this stage is maybe in his, you know, 60s, late 50s, early 60s, late, he's 55 to 65 or something like that. So he's getting pretty old. And his sons are now in their 20s, okay? This is where we're at. And Jacob is old. Jacob is old and he's about to, he's about to die, Okay? He's on his deathbed. Remember Jacob. Now, remember Jacob's life as we read this. And what I want you to do, guys, what we what we always say we want to do in our body is you don't want to just simply read the scriptures. You want to put you you want to be in the scriptures when you're reading the Bible. Don't again, try as hard as you can to ask the Holy Spirit to allow you not to just see it as a historical book. It is, but it's also so much more. We say it's in history. That means this stuff really happened. So put yourself in the mindset of a granddad. Or put yourself in the mindset of a dad. Say, okay, what's going on here? So you got this guy. He's had this crazy hard life. We're going to go through his journey in a minute. And here's a discussion that's happening. It says, verse 1, Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, it says, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Okay, so he realizes his daddy is ill. He gets that, that call that, you know, people that we don't want to get. Your father's about to die. He grabs his sons, the scriptures say, and he says, hey, I want you guys to come with me. I want you to come and see your granddad. This might be the last time you're going to see your granddad. Okay. They go, and I love this part. Come, comes in, tell him, hey, your, son's, your son has come. And I love, you can just imagine, this, this brittle old guy. Just, think about his hard life and what he does, you know, because he, he has to get up and get ready. He rallies himself up. He gets the strength. You know, okay, let me just let me say what I got to say real quick. Kind of, it's like, it's, it's, the author is trying to set a scene of this, this last words, last scenario kind of discussion. And the question is, why? Why does the author do this? I'm proposing because he wants you and me and he wants these people when they're walking through the wilderness to get something, that there's something extremely important about lineage and about what are you passing on. Rise of strength, sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me. He doesn't even say, how you doing today, son? How's it going? Is it nice outside? 
No small talk. First thing he does, he starts sharing his testimony. Okay? This man means business. He starts sharing what's happened to him. He says, look what the Lord did. The God Almighty appeared to me. Now, when you read this, remember, MacAv, remember Jacob's life. Remember how much of a nutball he was. Remember what he did. And now listen to him. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I'll make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Where is he at? He's in Egypt. He's talking like he has a land. This is what the Lord said, right? I'll make you a community of people. Um, this, you know, I, I, the sense of like, I don't think it's just talking, you know, I think it's talking more like every, all the different people groups. You know, there's going to be different people groups and they're going to know about this living God. So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to increase your, I'm going to increase your, your land. I don't, and when he talks like this, I propose to you because he's talking different communities. He's not talking just natural birth. He's talking also supernatural birth. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will reckon, will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Later on, we're going to see, and you can see this in Numbers, um, something happens here. Um, Basically, he, he's, he says that he's saying that I'm going to adopt these two boys, Joseph, his son. I'm going to adopt his sons, my grandsons, as two members of my sons. Um, what he's doing and what you're going to see in, in history as you read the scriptures is he's saying these guys will now be part of the discussion of the, of the tribes of Israel. And so, in essence, he, he, and he does that because he's saying that these two other guys, although they're not disbanded from the family, they lose their blessing as the leaders of the family, right? Because Simeon, um, remember he killed a ton of people a few chapters ago who raped his sister. Remember Reuben, right? Mandrake man, he did the Mandrake thing, slept with his daddy's wife, okay? Uh, which, which basically the scriptures will show, um, uh, removed them from uh, leadership. And so there's something to be said as far as implication that sin does matter and it does hinder uh, sometimes what the Lord will do in your life. Now, he didn't just ban them totally from the family because they're mentioned in Scripture as well as being part of the 12 tribes getting land. In fact, I think I have a few verses. Um, oh, maybe I don't. Sorry. I thought I had a few verses of Numbers, but there, if you go to Numbers, I believe in chapter 1, right down that address, you'll see uh, the 12 tribes mentioned, actually more than 12 because these guys are mentioned in, as well, and you'll see them being allotted land. And so that's just very important for your information as you're studying the scriptures that God sees this, sees uh, the beauty of Joseph and what he's done. And he's trying to welcome Joseph's family and he's saying, I'm taking your two boys. They're going to be part of the tribe of Israel. But these other two guys, all that are part of the tribe of Israel, what they did matter. And actually, they won't get the blessings that they, they should get as the leaders of the family. Um, and you can see it right here. Um, I just wanted to show you something here. It says, by faith, this is in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the, on the top of his staff. 
And I put this verse here just for this reason. There seems to be another implication that we can make um, from the text here. And that is, so, so Jacob blesses these guys. He's in what they call Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And I love it because he blesses these guys. And, and a lot of times when we can look at the Old Testament, we can think, oh, he blessed them. And he must have just known all this stuff was going to happen. And I want to propose, no, he blessed them by faith. Does that make sense? He blessed them. He prayed for them. And not necessarily knew if this was going to happen or not. There was no, no writing on the wall. There was no dream. There was none of that. Right? He blessed them by faith. Saying, hey, all I know is I know my God is awesome. God is good. He told me he was going to do something a while ago. I think what I'll do is I'll just, by faith, bless you guys. And I love that because I, cause some, when we read the scriptures, we can have the scriptures be set apart from our lives and think, well, they did these things because they had all this supernatural utterance. And I'm proposing to you that the scriptures show manyfold that people live a life just like you and me by faith. They do life, they read their scriptures, they trust the Lord, and they take steps by faith, not knowing if God is going to show up or not. And the only reason they're able to do it is because they believe the God of the scriptures. And they do it by faith. So I just want to make sure we can level the playing field as we do our life. We've, and, by the way, I think we got it even better because we got the resurrection on that side of history. We have Jesus rose. These guys are doing it not even knowing the Messiah. Any children, we're in verse 6, guys. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan uh, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land. Um, as I returned, as I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So what he's doing is continuing his testimony, guys. He's saying, let me tell you something. You know what? I had a, I had a, a, a girl, Rachel. I loved your mom. She was awesome. And it broke my heart when she died. Uh, can, I get, can I give you a couple of uh, implications here that I want to make sure I don't miss? Because it was convicting me when I was reading. So you saw he blessed, he's, gonna, he's blessing these boys. He says, I'm going to receive you into my sonship kind of deal. And then he starts saying, hey, this will happen to, to Rachel. I just thought for our families in this body, I just thought, man, I just pray that we would be men. Um, when I saw those, those, when I saw him bless those guys, I thought, that we would pray for our kids. I know that's simple. But I just thought, man, I just, I just ask, and this is just implicate. I just ask that you and I, I don't know if you do, but that you'll be praying for your kids. That, that you would, um, at night, as a man, I'm talking to the men here. Man, you every night would bow and just grab your kids and, and seek the Lord and, and bless them. And I, I want to tell you, selfishly, there's nothing more that's cool um, and I, I wanted the ladies would say this, like, you know, for my wife to come upstairs and to see and to see her husband praying for her kids when she walks in, the, in that bedroom at night. There's something about that of like of us leading in that way, man. I just want to propose that um, a big percentage of us will be married. A big percentage of us will have kids. And if you go, well, I, I don't do that. And then she's 10, she's 15, you're 20. Start today. Confess and say, I'm, I want to pray for you every day and pray for their spouses, pray for their walks to the Lord. Um, and the coolest thing is, um, is how 
discipleship is really it's really caught, not necessarily taught. I mean, I I pray for my boys now, and and it's so funny. Like they'll they don't even know what half the stuff I'm saying means, but then they'll be like, "Okay, Daddy, can I pray for you?" And I say, "Okay," and they'll say, "Lord, I pray He would walk humbly before God," and I pray. What else do they say? Um, that He'll be bold and courageous, and and then Lord, you know, I'll be praying, and she'll say, uh, "Can you pray for my husband?" I say, "Okay." And I pray for her husband, and she, she'll say, I'll pray for you, Daddy. And I pray, and then she'll go, you know, uh, will you pray to, uh, pray for Daddy's fasting? And she doesn't know what I'm doing, you know. And, and, but just watching them building a heart of prayer has been so cool. So I just want to encourage our, our, our men that, um, I just want to pray for our kids. Yeah, just, I was just thinking about that. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, so he so he tells her, I love your I love your I love your I love your I love my wife, you know, and uh, I was hurt when she died, which made me think about our wives. And I thought, you know, um, I even thought, like, do we tell our wives do you do you dote on your wife? Do you let your wife know that she is an absolute bomb? You know, and because um, uh, because one day because, you know, uh, you know, Jacob didn't get a chance to even meet uh, see his mom before she died. You know, and and I was just thinking about this. I was like. I mean, isn't that cool for, for him just to see how much he loved his mom? And I, I even look at my kids and I think the safety that at some level that I feel like they have uh, when they watch me like, you know, hug her, hug Sarah or kiss her or play around. Like when I do that, I watch their face and it's, and it's like kind of like sweet. You know, it's kind of like, like I'm safe here. Like my, my mom and dad love each other. I'm totally, I feel like there's a security with that. Um, I was thinking that when I saw his how he always loved Rachel. So that's just me and my, I just want to give you guys a couple commentary. I know I'm going to get emails. That ain't in the Bible. I know. I'm telling you. Implication. So, um, so I buried her uh, in Ephrath. That is Bethlehem, which is very interesting for you Bible scholars. It's interesting. She buried in Bethlehem, same place where Jesus was born. Very interesting. Uh, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? Still a little see now. He's getting old. Right. He knew the kids that came in here. But now he's like, who, who are these people? Uh, they are the sons God has given me here. And Joseph said to his father, then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now, Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Um, uh, again, another implication, I was just thinking as men. There's something about this text that we're going to see how how much uh, how important it is for a man to be affirmed. And and I was thinking in our community, uh, there's such we have followers in our community. And I, I want to propose there's not a man in this room who doesn't want to be affirmed, who doesn't want to have another man say, I respect you. I value you. I love you. Uh, and 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 I want to I want to propose that we in our body, we need to do that more with each other as men. Uh, we need to be affirming each other and that you need to be affirming your kids. Man, affirm your kids. Allow we are my, our family is we are serious about consequences. We discipline our kids uh, for sure. But, man, we try. If you know us, we try to have 20 affirmations for every discipline at least. And let's make sure uh, that we are that we are men who are who are blessing our kids. That, do you grab your kid and bless them, you know? And say, Lord, and, and, and grab them and kiss them on the head and pray for them. 
Verse 10. Um, it says, now Israel's eyes are failing. You can see. He, tried, he embraces the sons. He kisses them. Verse 11. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. I thought you were dead, man. I get to see you, and not only you, I get to see my grandkids. Then Joseph removed from, um, them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Um, love that. And Joseph took uh, both of them, Ephraim, on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him, trying to get ready for the blessing. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. Okay? And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, um, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. What's going on here, guys? Have we ever seen this before? Something, something, something's going on. Something's going wrong again. Uh, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Um, I'm sorry, I wanted to finish that statement, but I will. Let me just say this. So what's happening here? Uh, in the scriptures, uh, what happens in the Old Testament is that the uh, the oldest son actually is the one who gets who is gets the inheritance. OK, he's the one who actually is supposed to lead the family. Um, uh, but we've seen uh, many times now we've seen people you uh, lose that lose that authority. Right. We've seen it with Cain, Cain and Abel. Uh, we've seen it with uh, Esau. Uh, we've seen it even with uh, uh, Ishmael. OK, so we can go down the line. What is God trying to show us? Why does God do that? If this is the way things are supposed to happen, why does God allow us to happen? I would, I would tell you that the reason uh, is highly theological. God wants to get something, you and me, something in our heads that's very important as we do life as Christians, and that's, that's this piece, the doctrine of election. He wants us to understand something, and that is, uh, and that's why, and this is why monarchical, I, I would propose, I might get in trouble, monarchical, and my little, my little England woman here, reign is flawed. Because when you do just family succession, um, you, you're missing the point of God's sovereignty. And what God is trying to show us is that actually God needs to call the shots and needs to tell you who needs to succeed and not necessarily just nepotism. And so that's what you have here in a doctrine of election. Let me explain this to you if you don't know what I mean by doctrine of election. It's very important for how we do life as Christians. So one way of thinking as we do life is this. God chooses me for himself, right? And then Satan chooses me. And then basically I have the tiebreaker. Okay, you can go through life like that. You can think they both, they both want me. God wants me to be in heaven. Satan wants me to be in hell. And so it's really based on what do I choose? Some of you might think like that. And I would propose, I get that. That's, that's, that's a very human reaction. But I would propose this flaw because it really thwarts the sovereignty and, and the power of God. Uh, the scriptures say, and it's not as though God's word had failed, uh, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are all are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. This is him re- recounting something that's happened in some previous chapters that we've read. This is Romans 9, verses 6 through 9. Uh, in other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children. You hear that? Uh, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as uh, Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Now notice this. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that the purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. 
You see that? Continue to read on. What is he saying? He's saying that Jacob, he said, when you had Jacob and Esau uh, right, right, right there, he says, I chose Jacob before he was even born, because if I wouldn't have done that, you would have thought, well, it was because he did this good thing. But I chose them even before they did anything good or bad so that you and I will know, oh, it's not based on what we do, but on God's decision. Okay, and then what that says is that it's not based on what you've done that you're a Christian, but it's God. See, see, God is saying you don't have the capacity to choose him because you're evil. And so what God had to do, because you're evil, if he left us all to our own insight, we would all be destroyed in hell. But God is saying and, and, and live eternally burning up. But God says, I'm actually going to choose you and actually help you see that you're evil and have, and, and have you give you the grace to respond to me. That's the doctrine of election, that you have been elected, you have been placed in God's body because of his goodness, not because of what you've done. Okay? Um, so these are a few verses you can write down, Romans 9, 19 through 21, and also Ephesians 1 through 4, which talks about, for he chose, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, we're chosen. A famous quote, uh, so here's the thing, election is necessary because we are totally depraved sinners, okay? I want you to get that. In other words, we would not choose God unless he first chose us, okay? And so I say all this to say, uh, this is Haddon Spurgeon, famous quote. He says, I'm so glad that God chose me before the foundation of the world because he, he never would have chosen me after I was born. See, if you don't get there, if you can't believe that, you still don't get it. You're so messed up. The day you're born, God said, I can't choose him. He's messed up. And see, so God, so, God, so God says before the foundation of the world, he already knew how foul we were, and he decided in our evil to still allow us to be part of his, his creation. Now, this is important for this, this uh, the subject matter of Manasseh and Ephraim because it's trying to help us understand that God, God chooses people who to, to do whatever he wants them to do. And so he, he wants to get that in our heads, that you think Esau should be the leader. Actually, it's going to be Jacob. You think, you know, Ishmael should be the leader. Actually, it's going to be Isaac. You think, and he's showing us that it's by God's design, not by what we think. That makes sense? I just want to make sure, yes. That's what I'm proposing. Yeah, highly debated topic. Um, totally okay going there because um, scriptures are very serious about it. Uh, basically, uh, Betty's saying, when we go do corner store, then you're saying we're supposed to just share the gospel and some people are not going to respond because maybe the Lord by his sovereign hand hasn't chosen them to respond. I'm saying exactly. Here's the deal. Uh, and that's why I propose what we do in this community is I say we find sheep. We don't make sheep. Okay. And I say that the Lord has allowed us to understand that we preach lordship. We preach. That's why we are, un- we are unapologetic about the gospel. We preach lordship and people who want Jesus to be their Lord will go, that sounds like I want to, I want that. And we don't know who that is. So that's why we are here on mission. But we are not birthing spirituality. God is going to birth that in people. But to get to focus back on Ephraim and Manasseh, thank you so much for our practical demonstration in community. Uh, this is saying he makes a choice. 
not us, but I thought it would be unfaithful not to talk about the doctrine of election as we walk through that part of the text. Verse 16, you guys with me still? Okay, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, this is Jacob talking, may he bless these boys, may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Lord, when you give them a name, look at the lineage, keep thinking lineage, keep thinking of a guy who's about to die, and he says, hey, I'm about to die, I gotta pass this baton, I wanna pass it on to somebody who's gonna do something, hey guys, you have a responsibility, alright, uh, God has given me this promise, I want you to take this promise, I want you to understand it's true, and I want you to you have with tenacity to fight the same fight that I fought in my journey. Verse 16, 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's hand, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's hand to Manasseh's hand. He did not like the doctrine of election. He got mad at Jacob. Joseph said to him in verse 18, no, my father, this is the one firstborn. Put your right hand on his hand. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know, but God is sovereign. He too will become a people. God is good. He'll become a people and he too will become great. In fact, for a while, Ephraim had more people uh, in his in his tribe than Manasseh. Uh, nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. OK, he says, I know what you want, but it's not going to work out that way. Sorry, buddy. Verse 20 says he blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Uh, then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and, and take you back to the land of your fathers. Now, when did he take him back to the land of his fathers? Hmm? Not, in, not in his lifetime. OK, how long were they in Egypt? 400 years. Right. You think you think Jacob would be cool in heaven 10 years, 400 Jesus. So. I'm about to die, but God will be with you. Look, verse 22. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I will give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. What is going on in chapter 48? What is the Lord trying to teach us and teach his people who are going through the wilderness after they've been rescued out of Egypt? It's a question we need to be asking ourselves. Lineage, lineage, lineage. Uh, and I propose this, and because I'm going to get better at this. And listen to this, guys. So, so here's, here's what God is saying in, in chapter 48. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that there is a reality of life that we live. And I'm asking you to live a life based on the faith, the promise. Okay, to live a life based on the promise and then to equip others to live that life after you. Right. Live a life based on a promise and then to equip others to live that life after you. You can't do that if you're not thinking vision. You can't do that if you're not thinking lineage. You can't do that if you're not thinking generation. You can't do that if you're only thinking about yourself. Impossible. A selfish Christian cannot fulfill the mandate of God. Let me give you an example. So live out the promise and bless the next generation to do so. Can you go back, please? Thank you, buddy. Look at this. How does that happen? Here's the hard part, MacAv. How does that happen? How does one live this out? How do you live a life based on a promise, okay, and then just try to equip others to do the same? I want to propose to you uh, through pruning. I want to propose to you, and this is what's hard about us. Now, don't, don't miss this, MacAv. I want to get emotional here. But this is the hardest part about being uh, doing our life in our community is we are scared to be pruned. 
And that's what's happening in mad groups. That's what's happening in our discipleship channel. That's what's happening in our life. God wants to do something and he's doing stuff in us. But a lot of us, we are very nervous because we start feeling the pruning. And I'm not a farmer at all. All I do know is that pruning, uh, when you prune something, I should get a farmer up here, somebody who knows about plants. That they're, right, and, and you can really make this a really cool example. I'll butcher it, but you hear my heart. And that is, there's something about pruning that basically you can still have a little fruit, but you will never be anywhere near what you're supposed to be unless you take off all the foul stuff and you give the plant room to grow. Okay, and so with that, you have to almost, and what I hear um, is that you have to almost, sometimes when you're pruning, it gets to the point where you take so much stuff off the plant, it actually looks bare and dead. And then eventually, it starts to spring forth fruit. It starts to spring forth green. Now, look at Jacob's life. Now, you just saw what he was saying. You saw how godly this man was. Talking about Jesus. Look what God has done and all these things. And he's very forthright. I'm going to bless you. But think about his journey. Don't forget, just the same guy who stole his birthright, right? He steals the birthright from his brother. Remember, he lies to his dad. He puts, he puts camel hair on himself. He connives with his mom. Remember that? They all lie to get this stuff. He runs from his family after he does that. He has four wives. So he has four wives. He has a wife that he doesn't even like. He has a couple concubines. Gets drunk. All kind of craziness. He's deceived for working for some of his wives for almost 20 years. Okay? He doesn't say goodbye to his mom. He gets, he has, there's a part in the scriptures where it's like, it's horrible because he doesn't even get a chance to say goodbye to his mom because he's been running and being unfaithful for those years. His daughter gets raped uh, because I would propose he's been a jacked up dad. His sons are murderers. Does this, would you be broken if your daughter walks up to you one day? This is in history, family. Walks up to you, tears in her eyes. What's wrong, sweetie? He says, Daddy, he raped me. He raped me. That's not brokenness. That's not pruning. Can you imagine my little, my little girl, my little girl, Lauren? Can you imagine somebody, my sweetheart, coming to me and telling me some guy? His sons are murderers. Your sons are just, just totally disparaging your name. His grand, he's watching his grandsons get buried on him. He sees two of his grandsons get buried. Grandsons. He thinks his son is murdered for over 20 years. This is one man's life who's trying to walk with the Lord. And guess what, guys? You know this. I haven't even put everything down. That's not all that happened in his life. That was just a cursory me just flowing through the text. This man was getting pruned, guys. And look at the result now. You see a guy who's about to die and he gets it. It took a long time. It took a lot of pain. But finally, he gets it. And now he sees the importance of my life, although hard, was because God wants to do something in me. And guess what? He wants to do the same thing in you. So I want you to go and I want you to go run the race like I tried to run the race. This is what he's saying. John 15. Check out John 15 when he talks about abiding in the vine. The question, guys, is will we experience that pruning? It's like, what do you want people to say about you when you die? What do you, what do you want the narrative to look like on your deathbed? Macav, what would it look like? What are we trusting the Lord for? 
Will we do it? Will we be okay? Will we go through the pruning? Will you let the Lord do that in your life so that you can actually have fruit? Will I? Community. We have to hold each other accountable. That's hard. Some of us, we, we get close to it, one prick out, we, we jump back. And guys, where God wants us to be, as we begin more mad groups, I mean, we're trust, I'm trusting the Lord for the Lord to allow, man, maybe 16 or so mad groups by the end of the year. For us to see, why don't, well, Eric, you bought numbers. Of course not. More people, more gospel presentations. More people, more gospel expression. But not just any people. I don't want butts in the seats. People who are serious about the Lord, who wants to walk with the Lord, who wants to disciple, be disciple, make disciples in our community. Guys, I'm telling you, it, we have to be okay with saying, Lord, you are committed to doing this work in me. And we need to let him do it. We need to let him do it. Men in particular, what legacy are you trying to leave with your kids, with this community? What would you say? What are you saying? Are you saying any of that? Are you giving any vision to your kids? Are they realizing that we are here for a purpose? Or they think you found a cheap house? Are you giving, are you a visionary at all in your family? Are you leading your wives and your kids it's like, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Young men, are you calling people to vision? Are you passing the baton? Are you carrying the baton well? That's what we see in this text. Chapter 48 is the Lord allowing us to see a guy who through great pain is now saying, hey, with through great pain, I still believe my Savior and he's faithful. And so I want you to know something. You be faithful. Be faithful. And guys, it can start right now. I want to encourage you, the most amazing body. Guys, right now, we can repent and trust our Savior and say, today I go home, I think about my journey. I say, Lord, what does it look like for me to be cast in vision? What does it like for me to look at and assess what I've done in this community, what I'm trusting the Lord for, what I'm asking God to do in me and through me? Who are the people I'm trying to pour into? And how do I do this where I'm telling a story so people get to see my testimony? They get to tell my testimony in history. They get to say, let me tell you what Eric did. Da, 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 da. And where they get to have a testimony of their own. Generations, guys. Lineage. Generations, lineage, faithfulness, generations, lineage, faithfulness, God's presence over all, his sovereignty, his reign, lineage, generations. That's what he's, that's what's, that's what's going on, that's what's going on, that's what's going on. Continually in generations. In, in, in Genesis, he wants us to get that, okay? I don't want us leaving here going, so what's the book about, what's the Genesis about? Uh, it's about, is my life counting at all? Is my life about kingdom at all? Make your life count. We're going to have tithe and offering, okay, guys? And, and, and let us be a time of worship. Worship your king for who he is. If you are new, we always just ask that we just praise God that you're here. Um, keep your wives to your side, your purses to your side.